0: Um, So we had 17 people today at Matthews in South Park who were being baptized. And this is such a a wonderful, as Stuart mentioned, demonstration of what we believe that there's nothing magical about this. This is cold water, can confirm. Uh, There's nothing uh, magical about it. but, But what it becomes is this vivid demonstration of what we believe, which is we're buried with Christ. We go under the water and we're raised with Christ in the resurrection. And you know, there's only one thing in life guys that never gets old. The clothes you're wearing will get old, the car you drove here will get old, the house you're living in will get old. There's only one thing that'll never get old and that's the new life of Christ. And so the new and new city is this new life. And you know, um, it's a demonstration today what we saw as an act of worship of, of what we believe. And so I hope that was an encouragement to you today. Uh, of our mission together our shared mission as a faith family here at new city to help people find and follow jesus and i think you'll agree with me what a what a great way to kick off our thanksgiving week um to be grateful for that today Uh, yeah awesome would you guys uh stand one more time with me and let's give attention to the scriptures this morning we're going to continue in our series through the book of Judges. And if you're just joining us, you're visiting with us today, so grateful to have you here. Those of you who are watching online, uh, grateful to have you uh, joining us today. Let's give attention to Judges chapter 16. These are the final verses in the story of Samson and we'll continue in that today. This is verses 28 through 31 from Judges 16. God's word to you today. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Verse 31, Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body, and they took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshterol, where his father Manoah was buried. And Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. The word of God to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. So last week, we started the story of Samson in chapter 13. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to open with me this morning to Judges 13 or, or find it on your phone. If you're taking notes on the New City app, the outline is published there. If you'd like to fill in blanks, you can do that there. And also, just to mention, there's a discussion guide. If you want to go further um, yourself or with your family or your group uh, with a sermon, you can do that there. When we looked at chapter 13, the beginning of Samson's uh, story, we, we were introduced to his mother and his father, and we saw this incredible act of faith as they saw the Lord and trusted God for their son. And then in these final verses in chapter 16 that you just heard read, we see the the ending of Samson's story with the Philistines and the the temple crashing down and him finally praying to the Lord. And what happens in between, which we're going to cover today, is the things of, of legend, Uh, of Hollywood movies, the story of Samson. So I want to invite you to buckle up and turn to to Judges chapter 14 through uh, 16 today as we cover the the story of Samson between uh, his birth and between his eventual death that you just heard read today. And let's start with the name Samson. Uh, Some of you may remember last week that Samson, uh, named by Manoah and his wife, is actually named after a pagan god. So uh, the Canaanites worshiped the sun god. And so Samson's name actually means the little sun, S-U-N. And so if this isn't a demonstration of the duplicity and the paradox of Samson's life, I'm not sure what is. Because this was a man who was promised by God to his parents to deliver the Israelites. Remember the name judge or the word judge in the Hebrew uh, isn't like Judge Wapner or Judge Judy. Remember, it's it's meant to be a deliverer, a redeemer. That's what the word means. Uh, So each of these judges, as flawed as they are, are a foreshadow, a picture of the coming judge, the only righteous judge, Jesus Christ himself. And so Samson is is set apart. His parents, Manoah, and his wife are promised Samson. And when he's born, they give him the name of a pagan god. And yet he's also a pointer to another son who would come, the very son of God, Jesus himself. And so just in his name, if you're taking notes, you see the paradox of Samson's life. This is a man, Samson, the final judge in Israel. This is a man in conflict, and who is Samson in conflict with, you may ask? Well, he's not in conflict with the Philistines so much as he is in conflict with the person that we look at in the mirror every morning, ourselves. Samson is a man at conflict with himself. And, and what is the conflict? The conflict that Samson experiences is a conflict that each of us experience. Every single one of us has a battle going on, as Paul said in Romans 7, between the spirit of God inside of us, what God draws us to, to live according to his purposes and will for our life, to live on mission for him, and between our own senses, our, as Paul says, our flesh, our our taste, our sight, all the things that draw us into the things of this world. And so in the person of Samson, and even in his name, you see a person who is named after the little son, S-U-N. And yet, he's meant to be a little son, S O N, a pointer of, of Jesus. And even in his name, we see this man at battle with himself. And how many of you don't need you to raise your hand, uh, feel like you have a conflict inside of you today? Uh, that when you look in the, the mirror in the morning, you, you see the person that tends to, to trip you up more than anybody else. For most of us, uh, the greatest battle or struggle that we'll have is not against other people. It's against the person that we, we look at every morning when we brush our teeth. And there's this battle that rages between our, our, the spirit of God, if we're Christ followers, who lives in us, who, who moves in us, who, who teaches us and comforts us and draws us to the things of God, and our own senses, our own Our own flesh. So we learned last week in chapter 13, the beginning of Samson's story, that the Spirit of God was stirring in him. And then it doesn't take long, first verse in chapter 14, if you're looking, uh, following along, where it says that he saw a Philistine woman. He saw a woman and it was good in his eyes. Do you remember that? And so we see a person that's stirred by the Spirit of God, but what? Is, is also seduced by his senses. And that's really the bottom line for Samson's life, if you're taking notes, that his uh, senses uh, seduced him, but the Spirit of God was always stirring in him to strengthen him and empower him. And again, what happens between the beginning and the ending of his life is is just incredible. But just for a moment, as we think about that question of, of whose eyes are most important in Samson's life, I wonder if you might just take a moment in here and don't think about the person on your left or your right. But think about whose eyes matter most in your life. Who are you living for is another way to say it. Who do you most seek to please and to honor? At the end of the day, when you lay your head down on the pillow, who are you thinking about? You know, did I... To I live according to this person in their sight? And again, in Samson's eyes we, or uh, life, we see him conflicted between the eyes of the Lord and, and his own eyes that led him astray. But, but I think also about Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, and what they must have seen from this, this boy that was promised to be set apart for God and to do these incredible things for God and deliver the people of God. And the heartbreak that they must have experienced as they, they watched him, Make terrible choices. Any of you have, don't raise your hand for this one. Any of you have people in your life where you go, uh, it just breaks my heart because you see the, the conflict that they have, not so much with other people, but the conflict they have with themselves. Maybe you have loved ones in your life that are, are in conflict between their own senses and the, the spirit of God. God. And I wonder what it must have been like for Manoah and his wife to watch this little boy be born just as God promised, and they they set him apart with this Nazarite vow, which uh, basically just mean they took a special promise for the Spirit of God to come upon him and to be set apart for the work of God. And, you know, there's a huge gap if you're looking in your Bibles between, you know, chapter 13, verse 25, and chapter 14, verse 1, where God's spirit stirs in Samson and where his senses take over. And we see this this adolescent who's at conflict with himself. And you know what's really interesting? Uh, The passage that I started with, which is the end of Samson's story, uh, both of Samson's eyes are removed by the Philistines. And, of course, this is uh, an image of Israel, because all of the judges are a picture and miniature of Israel, the people of God. And so eventually at the end of Samson's life, his eyes are pulled out by the Philistines. And the very things that have failed him over and over and over again, his senses are, are stripped away from him. But I wonder for Manoah and his wife, Samson's parents, what they must have seen uh, this, this person, Samson, who could be so strong when he was stirred by the Spirit and do these and, and amazing things for God in delivering his people, but also so, I'm just going to use the word stupid in his senses, and we'll get to that in a little bit, that sin, you know, maybe this is your bottom line, sin makes you stupid. It really does. You, you, you read things about other people that are super smart. They're very intelligent people, and they do the stupidest things. And the reason why is because they're living by their lust and their sight and their senses. And sin uh, makes us that way, it dulls our senses and it makes us uh, uh, go down the path of, of stupid decisions and we see that in Samson's life and how painful this must have been for his parents to watch. And I, again, for some of you, and maybe you just need to hear this today, for some of you, you're watching someone in your life, maybe it's a child, a, a grandchild, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, maybe it's you, at conflict with themselves. Uh, The the spirit of God and their own senses warring within them and it can be heartbreaking to watch. And even in this moment, as we think about those people in our lives that may be struggling with this conflict between their own senses and the spirit of God, we, we pray for them and ask that God's spirit would stir within them and that they would go and make the next right decision, godly decision, according to the Lord. And if that's you this morning, and you say, man, I've made a mess of my life, just like Samson. I keep making bad decision after bad decision, uh, following my eyes and my taste and my senses instead of the spirit of the Lord. You know how you get out of that? You go make the next godly decision. You know, rule number one in our family, when you've dug yourself into a hole, you know what the, the rule is when you've dug yourself into a hole, what you need to do? Anybody know? Stop digging. (laughs) Yeah, oftentimes when you're in a hole, right, you got the shovel in your hand. And so put the shovel down and, and, and stop digging. Go make the next godly decision according to God's spirit and not your own senses. And so with that in mind, I wanna set up the story of Samson, tell you what happens in between the beginning of his life and the ending of his life that you heard. And it takes place in chapters 14 through 16. I'm not gonna preach all three chapters, okay? Um, I want to encourage you to go and read the story for yourself, but I want to story tell it and hit the high notes in two different parts. And if you're if you're taking notes, maybe you'll write these down and jot down a few of the principles that we learn from Samson's life as he's a person, and maybe you are today too, or someone you're praying for or watching, who's in conflict with themselves between the spirit of God and their own senses. And remember again that every one of these judges, including Samson, who's the final judge in Israel. Is a, is a display of the paradox that Israel, all of God's people, all of us live in, of uh, being led by our senses and what we want uh, uh, in our own flesh and being stirred by the Spirit and living, living for God. So here's the first part of the story, two parts of Samson's story, just to, to, just to give you the highlights from chapters 14 to 16. And this is what I entitled, it if you're taking notes, A Lion, a Bet, and a Woman. All right, so this is a, a country music song right in the middle of judges here. You didn't know that country music was in the Bible, but here it is. And this is really chapters 14 through 15. So um, chapter 14 begins with Samson, you know, as a young man, again, living through his eyes, not, not in the sight of the Lord. And it's his lust that's driving him. And he, he sees this Philistine woman and, and he says to his parents, I wanna make her my wife. And they say uh, to him, again, imagine their perspective on his story. Can't you find a good Jewish girl? I mean, do you have to go find, you know, someone from, from our enemies who have been, because remember the Philistines have been subjugating uh, the people of Israel for 20 years and harassing them and making their life miserable. And they say to him, you know, can't you find somebody from our own tribe, from our own people? And Samson says, no, this is the person I want. You know, go and make it happen. Again, he's living just for his sight, very, very short-sighted, very immature. And he begins to rebel. What we see here in chapter 14 is he begins to rebel openly against his Nazarite vow to be set apart from the Lord. Because, of course, he he wouldn't uh, intermarry with their enemies. But he says, no, my senses are stronger than the Spirit of God. And so his parents, you know, honor that request. And they go and make it happen and arrange a marriage, which would happen during that time. And they're on their way to Timnah, which was the village that this, this young lady lived in, to, to celebrate the wedding and to make arrangements. And on the way, I'm not making this up, go read it for yourself. On the way, this young lion attacks Samson. And uh, the Bible says that Samson, in his strength, because when the spirit would stir in him, this incredible uh, otherworldly strength would, would come upon him, the strength of God. And he ripped the lion's jaws apart and killed the lion but he didn't tell his parents. Why wouldn't he tell his parents? Because as a Nazarite, you weren't allowed to touch dead things. So even in this moment, he's violating his vow and rebelling against it. So they make their way to the village, they start making arrangements uh, for, for the wedding, and on their way back, Samson, and I think this is a picture of his life, if you're looking at chapter 14, verse eight, they returned uh, to, to come back for the wedding And it says, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion he had killed. And that's, to me, a theme for Samson's life of just turning off the path, of of veering off the path that God had for him. Because remember, uh, he was set apart for the work of God to redeem and rescue the people of God. But over and over again, what we see happening, and maybe this happens in your own life, He's walking down a path and he keeps turning off the path. Maybe you see people in your life, again, at conflict with themselves. This paradox of of on the path for God and then easily swayed away. And you remember what he does with the lion, it's really weird. Okay, the carcass of the lion, uh, some bees have formed a, a hive there and producing honey. And he takes the honey and he eats the honey. Again, it's not about the honey, it's not about the bees, it's about violating his Nazarite vow because he wasn't allowed to touch dead things. And then what does he do? He makes it even worse. He takes the honey and he feeds it to his parents. And so his parents unwittingly violate their vow as being separated and set apart from the Lord. This is just so immature. And the word here, if you're taking notes, is impulsive. Samson is incredibly impulsive and living for his senses, his sight, his taste in the, at this point with the honey. All he can think about of is what's in front of him. And that's, that, uh, again, that marks a person who's living by their senses and not by, by the Spirit. They just want, any of you relate to this? They just want what they want when they want it, right away. They can't wait. So impulsive. They go down uh, to the village where this young lady lived. They make arrangements for the wedding. And out of that moment, it gets even worse because Samson makes this bet. And the bet is in the form of a riddle. And he tells the wedding party, out of his hubris and his pride, basically he tells them this riddle and says, you'll never be able to solve it. And if you don't solve it, you've got to give me nice clothes. But, um, but, but, if, uh, but if I solve it, basically if I win, you have to give me nice clothes. It's just, it's so stupid. And they say, okay. And then this young lady that he's to be married to begins to question him and say, tell me what the riddle means, tell me what the bet is. And she comes to him over and over and over and over again. And finally he tells her. And guess what? Everybody has somebody to tell, guys, okay? Everyone has someone to tell. So he tells her and guess who she tells? The wedding party, the people that Samson made the bet with. And so he loses the bet. And the Bible says that he goes and he kills 30 people, so impulsive in his revenge and his anger, his outburst of his uh, temper. And he takes their clothes and he pays off the bet. And then look at this he goes home at the end of chapter 14 to live with his mom and dad. Again, this is a picture of a man in conflict who at one moment can be a full-grown man, full of the Spirit of God, and capable of incredible things and rescuing his people. And in the next moment, he's a little boy. He's an immature, impulsive little boy. And by the way, this isn't just a story about Samson. So many of us, In the path of our life, at one moment, we can be a full-grown person, an adult who's very mature, who's thinking of the things of God, who's not living by our senses, and in a moment, because of our temper, because of our impulsivity, we can be an 11-year-old boy again and have the emotions of an 11-year-old boy up and down and all around, and I just want what I want when I want it. And he moves back in with his parents. And you would think Samson would learn, but but he doesn't. He, in chapter 15, uh, he, he uh, begins to say, you know, I wanna, I wanna be with this woman. I wanna go and, and make her my wife. So he goes again to the village where this Philistine woman lived. And at this point, the father has said, hey, we didn't think you were coming back because you, you, you killed all these people and you stomped off and you were angry and you behaved like a little boy. So I gave my daughter in marriage to your best man. And here, you, you wanna hear a really immature verse? Okay, not that any of us would ever, maybe the most immature verse in all the Bible. Samson says, chapter 15, verse 3, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Okay, mark number one of an immature person. We've all said it. We've all been there. Maybe you said on the way over this morning in the car, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You cannot blame me for what I'm getting ready to do. In other words, I've given you volition over my life. I I can't be blamed. Any of you ever struggle with that? It's your fault, Samson says. And then it gets even worse. Look at verse 11. He says, I only did to them, because he's retaliating, he's going back and forth with the Philistines. He says, I only did to them what they did to me. So I put here in my my margin, they started it. Okay, okay two marks of immaturity right here in the Bible, verse three and verse 11, if you're taking notes here. It's their fault. It's not my fault, right? You can't take responsibility, by the way, until you take responsibility for your life, you won't grow up. And there's, and, and, and by the way, that doesn't have to do anything with your age. There's people that have a lot of years on them, but they've never learned how to take responsibility for their own life. And if, you know, if my eighth grade baseball coach didn't hate me, I would have, I would have gone pro and my whole life would have been different and blaming everything on them. And the mark of maturity for every single one of us is when we go, I'm going to take responsibility for my life. It's true. I can't affect other people around me. Uh, Things happen to me, good and bad and indifferent, but I'm going to begin to take responsibility for my choices, for my decisions. Samson's never learned that. And moreover, it gets even worse. He goes back and forth with the Philistines in this game of revenge, which by the way, guys, revenge is like a boomerang, okay? Revenge is a boomerang. You throw revenge and it comes right back and it hits you. And that's exactly what happens to Samson here. He's so angry with the Philistines because they solved his riddle and then his wife is, is, is given away to someone else, which by the way, the Philistines come and burn her and her father and her family and they go back and forth and back and forth. And then at the end, uh, Samson says, you know, it's not my fault. And they started it. They started it. This is the, uh, the mark of a very immature person. A person, again, that's in conflict with themselves and allowing their senses to control themselves. Any of you relate to that? So Samson is arrested by the Philistines, here in chapter 15, and over a thousand people take him into custody. And he prays to the Lord, and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And again, I'm not making this up. He takes a jawbone of a donkey. And he fights his way out of custody and in the process kills over 1,000 Philistine men. And guess where he goes after that? Back home to mom and dad. He's a 30-year-old living in the basement, eating Taco Bell and playing video games, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's a little boy. He's a grown man who's still a little boy because he's blaming everybody else And he won't take responsibility for his life. He's living by his senses what I want. Remember, lust is all about what you can get. Okay? Love is all about what you can give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because love gives. Lust wants to get. And Samson's all about lust of his senses. What can I get from other people? right? I'm only living for myself. So here we are at the end of chapter 15, right? This lion, this, this bet, this, this woman that got him, um, you know, to reveal uh, the riddle and he, he, this outburst and this back and forth with the Philistines and this revenge. And what has he gotten from it? He's not living into the purposes that God called for him. to to be a judge, to be a redeemer, to be a deliverer for his people. He's so consumed with his own lust and what he wants from life and blaming other people instead of growing up that he's not living into the purposes that God had for him. And this is the truth for all of us. There's a loud story, guys. Everybody watch this. There is a loud and compelling story, story that the world wants to tell you about yourself. And basically the story is, it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault, right? And they started it. So I, I, I can't be blamed. You know, I, I, I mean, I just have to get what I can get out of this life and other people, and then I just move on from person to person to person and getting what I want from them because I never get to a posture that says, I'm a grown up. I'm living by the spirit, not by my senses, and my life is meant to give, not to get. And when you wanna find, when you grow up, And you realize my life is more than just my senses, than my taste, than my sight, all the things. My life is meant to be an offering and to give to other people because that's what the gospel calls me to. That's when you come alive and grow up. And we see a cautionary tale here from Samson's life of a person that had the spirit of God stirring in him, but he continues to give himself over to his senses. He is a man in conflict. And right now, his senses are winning at the end of chapter 15. And you think after all of this, surely, right, Samson will grow up he'll start to pay attention to the spirit of God and his calling and his purpose in life to deliver and redeem his people for something beyond himself which is the moment you grow up when you realize it's not about you it's not just about you it's about God using you in the lives of other people no matter what your profession is right Abraham Lincoln whatever said whatever you are be a good one Whatever you are in here today, be a good one, not just a good one, but a great one for the glory of God, for other people to demonstrate to them the new life of Jesus, right? Samson never got that, that it wasn't about him. And so here he is, you know, metaphorically, in his parents' basement, playing video games, eating Taco Bell, cr- calling up to his mom, you know, bring me meatloaf, bring me, bring me food down here. And he, and he never grows up. And you think, surely in this moment, He'll have an awakening and realize, you know, so far I look back on my life and, it, and this is where it's gotten me. Right? And 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 how do you get out of that? How do you get out of a hole, guys? Stop digging. And yet, when we get to chapter 16, the final chapter that's recorded of, of Samson's story, he keeps on digging. And, and the second act, if you're taking notes, is sin makes you stupid. It just does. It it dulls your senses. It makes you think that what is wrong is right and what's right is wrong. Remember we talked about that last week in your own eyes. And so Samson again lives for his senses. He finds himself again with another Philistine woman and then with another woman. And by the way, if you're not right, everyone watch this. If you're not right with yourself, if you're not right with the Lord and right with yourself, meaning that you're, you're, you're mature and you're realizing that life isn't for you, you're not living by your senses, you're living by the Spirit of God and what he calls you to, if that isn't settled, adding someone else to the mix will not help it, right? I'll just find a woman, I'll find somebody else and I'll invite them into my immaturity, into my dysfunction and that will make it better. How does that work? Has it worked in your life? Nope, you just get two dysfunctional people, right? So listen, if, you know, if you're in a season of your life and you're, you're longing to find that person, whatever, you be the right person. Don't concentrate so much on finding the right person. You be the right person. Be settled with yourself, right? Uh, uh, committed to, to following the spirit of the Lord and, and not your senses. You be the If you're married right now, you be the right person, Right? And you say, well, I just want to talk about my spouse and just, you know, if you just heard all the things and, 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 and they started it, and they started it, right? And, and I can't be responsible for my decisions and blah, blah, blah. G- g- listen, I'm saying this to me too. Grow up. All of us need to grow up and recognize that I have to take responsibility for my life. Yes, I can't change anyone else around me. I I can only allow the spirit of God to change me. And the more I focus on other people, the less I'm looking at the actual conflict that I have, which is oftentimes with myself. And this is the story of Samson. So we add someone to the mix of his dysfunction and guess what happens? More dysfunction, right? And guess what her name was? Do you remember? Chapter 16 of Judges. Delilah, her name was Delilah. And, and, and it says that now Samson fell in love. And everyone say, oh, yeah, Samson fell in love. Here's this dysfunctional little boy who never grew up and now he's in love. And you think because you, you marry someone and you're with someone that you're just going to grow up. Nope, he, he, he doesn't. And by the way, because his senses are so dulled and he's living by what he can get, and not what he can give, he just happens to marry a Philistine spy, her name was Delilah. She was working for other people to get information from Samson so that they could defeat him. And all he was blinded to all of that because of his own lust. And that's exactly what happens to us as well. And so Delilah begins to inquire of Samson in chapter 16 over and over and over again. What is the secret? What's the secret sauce? How are you so strong? How can you do all these things? And Samson messes with her and he says, you know, oh, well, if you bind me with ropes that, you know, haven't been, you know, dipped in water. And if you do all these things and over and over again, he's just messing with her. And this, this is the Bible's word. These are not my words. And it says, you know, finally, right, she tormented him, verse 16, with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. So just, okay, this is the strongest man in the world. And he's like, I can't take it. I can't take it anymore, right? And he says, okay, I'll tell you my secret. It's my hair, okay? Which, by the way, it wasn't his hair. Samson, see, see, this is the, the pinnacle of his hubris. He thinks it's still about him, that it's actually about his hair that gives him strength. No, it was what the hair represented. His hair was a vow that he took to the Lord, that he would remember the spirit of the Lord and what the Lord had called him to and to live for other people and not for himself. That's what it represented. But Samson, because he's so selfish and so self-centered, he thinks it's still about him. And he's so unwise that he tells this Philistine spy, Delilah, because he's so controlled by his impulsivity, and he's so unteachable, he tells her this secret to his strength. And she uh, shaves his his hair off and brings the Philistines into the house. And she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he's like, oh, here we go. It's go time. And he thinks, I'm going to destroy them. And he realizes my strength is gone. And again, it wasn't about the hair. It was about his vow to the Lord and violating that over and over and over and over again. And so he's brought into co- to custody. And they parade Samson. Go read chapter 16 this week. They parade him around like a circus lion, interestingly. And they bring him to all their festivals, the Philistines do. And they glory in the fact that uh, Samson has become uh, our slave and we subjugated him. And again, Samson's life represented all of Israel's life. So in Samson, we see Israel being subjugated and humiliated by this pagan god and, and the worship of, of the pagan god and the pagan people. And, and the, the, um, the apex of the story here is in verse 23, and it actually is the fatal mistake that the Philistines make. They gather together with Samson, right, bound, and they bring him out because they want, to, they want Samson to entertain them. They think it's so funny to look at this judge, this leader of the people of God and, and to make fun of him. And they're entertained by that and feel really good about themselves. And so they, they gather in this big worship center, this big pagan temple, uh, to make fun of Samson and to glory in their pagan god. And this is what it says in verse 23, their, their fatal mistake, that as they gathered there, the Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. And they said, our god has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. Now, what's the mistake here? There's a lot of them, but what's the biggest mistake? The Philistines think that their enemy is Samson. Samson. Nope, it wasn't about Samson. Samson was only a physical manifestation of the power of God. Their enemy was the one true God. And so in this moment of their hubris and and their success of subjugating Samson, the most powerful man in the world, and glorying in their pagan God, Samson, something begins to stir in the heart of Samson. And the first time, everyone watch this, the first time recorded in the Bible that Samson prays is right here at the end of his life. Verse 28. He's cried out to God for water. He's complained to God. He's complained to his parents. Finally, in this moment, let me read verse 28 to you. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. It was only when Samson's eyes were removed that he began to see It was only when his senses were taken away from him, when he was blinded, when he was was weakened, when when he was subjugated, that he began to cry out, it's always been you, God. Throughout my whole life, it's always been you. It's never been about me. It's been about you, Lord. And so he says, sovereign Lord, meaning you're in control, God, not me. That's been his problem his whole life, being so impulsive to take control, And then he says, Lord, would you help me? Would you strengthen me? He has finally moved from being an unteachable little boy to being a humble and courageous person of God. And so he prays this beautiful prayer for the first time recorded. Lord, would you see me? Would you, would you help me? Would you, would you strengthen me? And dear friends, it's only when we come to the end, everyone watch. It's only when we come to the end of ourselves, our own senses our own pride, our own immaturity that we're able to look to the Lord, not to ourselves and other people and say it's always been you, God, in my life. Everything good in my life that I have to be thankful for is from you, God. And we're able to humble ourselves and that's the word, uh, word, to humble ourselves and to cry out the one word prayer that God longs to hear more than any other prayer that we could ever pray help. Samson cries for help. And the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him in his humility and his confession. And he takes the tent, and he, the pillars of the tent, and he, and he moves it in this mighty act of strength, and it all collapses on him and the other Philistines. And you go, well, that's kind of a sad end of the story. But, but listen, every Philistine leader was gathered in that temple. And so in his final act, Samson begins to fulfill the rescue of Israel, and he destroys the leadership of the Philistines. And it was only when he began to live for the eyes of God and not through his own eyes. In Samson's life from chapter 13 to 16, we see this bottom line over and over and over again, that my senses, right, seduce, but God's spirit stirs. It's the spirit of God that moves and works in me, that that calls me to grow up and to live for his purposes and not my own. And it's, it's my senses that pull me away, this paradox, this conflict, to live for myself and just get from other people. And my suspicion is, for each of us in the room, for those of you watching online, we're in the same place. There's this battle, this war within us from my senses of what I can get and take from other people and God's spirit that says no, I'm I'm meant to be an offering to live for God's glory and the good of other people. To Christ be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this amazing example of Samson. I I think it's true that when we look at the story of Samson, the the, the real story, we, we see our own stories. We are so prone to wonder, to give into our own senses, our own lust, so we pray that one word prayer that Samson prayed. Help. Would you help? Would you come to us, Lord? Would you strengthen us and stir us once again to live into our true story, a story of your purposes and mission in our life. Today, Lord, on this Thanksgiving week, we praise you, we praise your name, and we thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives. I pray for each of my dear friends who are gathered here in this place, for those who are gathered around watching somewhere today that your spirit would come upon them, that you would help them to take the next step closer to you, Jesus, and your great purposes for their lives. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Will you stand as we respond together? I cast my mind To Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me, I see him.
0: Thank you for being here today. It was great to have all of you here. Uh, if you're looking to get connected at New City, we'd love for this to be your church home. And the easiest way to do that today is to go to Connection Point in the courtyard. And we've got some teammates there that would love to greet you and, and help you find your place here um, at New City. If you uh, like some prayer today to respond to the message or something going on in your life, your family, we sure would love to pray for you. Uh, you can fill out a prayer request online or in the seat back card in front of you or come forward after the service. We've got a team here that would love to talk with you about something that may be stern to your heart today or something we can pray for you about this week. We'd love to be able to do that. And then uh, if you call New City, your home, um, would invite you to participate in giving. Uh, Giving is an act of worship as we respond to the way that God's made himself known to us. If you're visiting with us, I hope you won't feel any obligation to give at all, but if you call New City, your home, you're a part of our mission to help people find and follow Jesus. We invite you to do that online or in the green boxes um, as you leave today. Uh, final thing for me, our Advent guides are out uh, for our New City family. So you're going to be handed one today to take home. I want to encourage you to, um, to gather with your, your friends, your family, your community group, uh, and celebrate Advent together. Advent starts next Sunday night, believe it or not. Um, so if you're going to be out of town next week, be sure to grab one today. And we'll hand that to you and participate uh, with us. If you're able, would you extend your hands as we go today for a benediction? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his attention, his eyes upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this Thanksgiving week fill you with his grace and his mercy and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Love you, New City. Thanks for being here.